Welcome to the Advice and Insights Podcast with David L. Bonson. Hello and welcome to this week's Advice and Insights Podcast, a special podcast this week on the surprise announcement and threat regarding Mexico tariffs. The entire story unpacked here today on Advice and Insights as the trade war moves to south of the border. My name is David Bonson. I am the managing partner and chief investment officer at the Bonson Group. And you're listening to the Advice and Insights podcast where we try to take a particular newsworthy topic as often as is warranted and unpack it for you, give you our uh, advice and insights around that particular subject. And this one is a doozy. The story unfolded late last week Uh, Into the evening on May 30th, President Trump just shocked not only his own policy advisors, but but obviously market participants and and, uh, trading partners and the like with the announcement that we were going to go on June 10th to a 5% tariff on all products that were imported from Mexico. And then that number would go up by another 5% each month until it got up to 25%. Unless at some point Mexico provided better support at eliminating the border problems with uh, Central American asylum seekers. And there was no specifics provided as to what exactly Mexico could do or should do or needed to do or whatnot. And so the threat of the tariff, the likelihood of the tariff, the impact of the tariff lingered over markets, whereas any kind of clarity about what resolution would look like was totally uh, unknown to markets and remains such at this time, although there are discussions at work between Mexican authorities and U.S. authorities. So a lot of people have said, hey, I don't know about the tariffs. I don't really know what they do economically. Maybe they're good. Maybe they're bad. But this, you know, sounds like something needs to do. We need to get Mexico doing more. Uh, the border problem's out of control. We don't like what's happening with the Central American illegal immigration, abusing asylum and, and those types of things. And so the question is, is the tariff just an instrument for leverage or is there an actual economic impact? And in this particular case, this is really, in a way, d- very different from what was done so far with, with China. In the China, China case, it was also presented as leverage, and the president confuses markets sometimes because he'll come out and say, I think the tariffs are great. We're really making a fortune off of them. And, of course, that's not true. The tariffs are paid by U.S. companies and U.S. Uh, customers of U.S. companies. But the politicking notwithstanding, the policy was really very carefully constructed so far to try to have the most minimal impact as possible. If you look at the tariffs that have been implemented on China so far, 52% are applied to what we call intermediate goods, products that just simply have some role in the middle of a supply chain. Some part of what's being made starts in America, maybe is done in Europe, Maybe and ends back up at America, but in between, there's an intermediate part of the manufacturing process where China is uh, exporting the good 
that's where the majority of the tariffs have been so far. It absolutely has an economic impact. It absolutely has a negative economic impact. And it does more indirectly come down to prices being paid by U.S. payers, businesses and or customers. But it is not as direct. 43% of those tariffs were on capital goods, so actual products that are used not just in the intermediate portion, but throughout the entire supply chain. And then only 1% thus far was on a direct consumer good. So, for example, they excluded flat screen televisions when the aluminum tariffs were put on, but they did have the tariffs on semiconductors and plastics that obviously play a part in the flat screen television. But if a flat screen television was coming over here on a boat in a box ready to be sold to a customer, those were exempted. And the only reason for that would have been because they're well aware that that would be felt by the consumer more directly. But then with China, what you got were retaliatory tariffs, and they attempted to pack the best punch they could by targeting products that would most hurt the administration in, in states like the Midwest, uh, Ohio, Michigan, where some of his Rust Belt and farmer constituency may be. And some of the most severe tariffs were applied on whiskey, on boats and yachts, on motorcycles, on blue jeans, consumer products like corn and peanut butter. And so what you, what you had was the U.S. trying to soften the impact to consumers and China trying to intensify the impact to consumers. Well, now in the situation with Mexico, there's no way to avoid it. It's, a, it's not a targeted tariff. It's being threatened on all products entering the United States, and it's being threatened to get up to a 25% level. So they, they uh, export to us about $370 billion of products a year. And there's no real way that you can get $370 billion taxed at 25%. Uh, you're talking at that point at about $90 billion of new taxes. That would represent the largest tax increase on Americans in over 30 years without that having a significant contractionary effect. And I'm well aware that there are people say, oh, don't worry, it won't get to that point. And I don't really believe it will either. But I think it's important we talk about what exactly the impact would be and what the impact would be even at the 5% level, who would be impacted, who would not. In this case, Mexico exports $8 billion of vegetables alone to the United States. Obviously, they are the largest avocado producer in the world, and the United States imports a significant amount of its avocados, but there's other agricultural products and, and things that you would buy at, in the vegetable section of a grocery store directly imported from Mexico. So the impact of consumer prices there is obviously very easy to track and to follow. But this is the part that's most fascinating to me. 67%, fully two-thirds of what we import from Mexico are parts that are just used somewhere in the, in the manufacturing process of American manufacturers. And so you would basically be taxing at a high level directly the American manufacturing industry, which, of course, is a sector that President Trump has largely campaigned around trying to help and trying to reinvigorate. And I think this represents 
a big risk into what he's trying to accomplish. NAFTA 2.0, the so-called USMCA bill, is pretty much right now dead until this matter is resolved. It's worth pointing out that the vast majority of the Trump administration, including his pro-tariff, generally protectionist-leaning advisors, are not in favor of this uh, additional tariff with Mexico. And so we really just don't know how it's going to play out. In March of this year, we imported more from Mexico than from China for the first time in over 15 years. So it's a significant trading partner, obviously right next door to us, with a lot of other things on the line uh, that impact our automotive industry, that impact manufacturing, as I've already discussed, but also impact politically our ability to push this broader deal through Congress. And I should point out, this is what we're talking about now, that we have an unresolved, massive global trade war with China, the two largest economies on Earth. And now we've introduced to our second biggest trading partner uh, a very significant threat of tariff and a massive monumental tax on things that have a very direct impact to American actors, whether consumers or business manufacturers. And it does beg the question as to what else could be out there. Because this doesn't appear to be a byproduct of a three-month research process or a six-month analysis. It sort of just kind of erratically came out of the president's Twitter account last Thursday night. There's already been some sort of threat about some tariffs on Indian imports. And India is a very small trading partner. The tariff levels themselves have not really been defined yet. But it's clear that this administration has thus far decided tariffs represent a tool to pull out kind of with anyone at any time for any reason. And what that means to the overall stability of markets remains to be seen. I would take a very bearish view on what could happen if there is not resolution to the notion of a, of a tax that could be pulled out um, unilaterally at any time as a matter of trying to adjudicate various foreign policy objectives or other means. And that's a good way to sum it. Is this a means to an end or is it the end itself? Are we going to end up in some sort of Smoot-Hawley 1930s protectionist trade regime where tariffs become the new kind of normal and then create the deflationary impact they would have. Now, why do I say deflationary? Because most would assume it's a tax on consumer goods and therefore it raises prices. And that is very true. In the short run, it has an impact on making prices higher. But then what that does is what? For those who have ever studied supply and demand at a fifth grade level, it then suppresses demand and then alters behavior. So to the extent that tariffs are perceived to be extended, perpetual, and, and get kind of baked into the economic cake of the society, it would be very deflationary because it would be contractionary to overall economic growth. It would suppress gross global trade, not just how much we buy from them, but how much they buy from us and how much everybody buys from everybody because of the impact up and down the supply chain globally. And then to the extent that prices go higher, the impulse of consumers is to contract 
their purchasing behaviors, not to expand when they see prices rising in response to higher taxes. And this is happening at a time, or would be happening at a time, when manufacturing is now slowing, capital goods orders are slowing, business confidence is waning. Therefore, I see the intermediate-term impact being deflationary, and that's the situation we find ourselves in. So it sounds as if I'm really concerned about it, and I am. But I do want to point out that through the uncertainty, there is a couple of things that need to be pointed out. First, politically, um, I know a lot of people that think President Trump has no chance of getting reelected, and I know a lot of people think he has no chance of not being reelected. And I think there's a lot of compelling arguments that if the economy is in a really good position, he has a great chance. I think there's a lot of compelling arguments politically that, based on how the midterms went and his favorability ratings, he has, you know, it's a real uphill battle. So I have no interest at all in making a political forecast on it, and I'm sympathetic to all the arguments. I could be very persuasive in trying to say he has no chance of getting reelected, um, but of course 2016 proved a lot of people wrong. And I could be very persuasive saying, hey, if unemployment's at 3.6% and GDP growth is over 3%, then a lot of people might just sort of tolerate the things that they don't like and go out and vote economically. But I don't know anyone on either side of the aisle, either that they like him or don't like him or that they think he will win or think he won't win. I don't know anyone who believes that if the economy turns south, that it would be uh, helpful to his case. Those that are somewhat optimistic about his chances believe it's because the economy is strong enough that he could run off of a great economic growth message. And, and, and I can tell you that if that economic message goes away, I think it would be a really um, a juvenile political perspective to say he can get reelected with all the other things he has to overcome and a really bad economy. So you combine that political reality, you would think that there is a lot of incentive inside the White House to get something resolved. But there's another factor I'd point out, and that is that it, this is tremendously unpopular inside his own administration. Other White House aides have spoken out against it privately. There's concern about the willingness to just invoke the threat of tariffs anytime, any reason, any place. And uh, I believe that there's more and more uh, defectors in the House and the Senate that will come out if this is allowed to go too much further. Um, so we'll see where those things play out. And, and yet, in the meantime, from an investor standpoint, the themes that we've been really harping on are very much alive and well. And that is that you have a competing narrative in the market, fear of contraction, fear of slowing economic growth, the, the reality, the business investment that is so necessary to extending economic expansion is being threatened by this trade war. And we're seeing it in a decline in capital goods orders. We're seeing it in a decline in stated business confidence. And so I'm calling that the Trump call, that there's this great uh, economic momentum, but that he's kind of put a lid on it at this point in time with trade policy. But then now we saw this week rather extravagantly the reality of a Fed put, which is to say that they stand ready as they have been for many, many years. I always hearken back 
to the beginning of my investing life in, in the second half of the 1990s when the Fed clearly uh, presented themselves as the coddler and accommodator of risk assets. And that's mostly stayed consistent throughout the last uh, 20 years. And this week, Chairman Powell said, we stand ready to help offset the impact of trade war uh, slowing economic growth through monetary policy. And the Fed funds futures market is pricing in like 88% chance of the Fed funds rate coming down by 50 basis points over the next few months by half of a percentage point, unpacking the last two different rate hikes that the Fed did. They haven't cut yet, but they really telegraph that that's what they stand ready to do. And to me, that Fed put versus the Trump call really argues for prudence, balance, not having a high conviction in either a bullish or bearish thesis, uh, providing a kind of even weight, middle of the road asset allocation uh, within one's own risk reward profile, within one's own liquidity profile. And so I, uh, right now, could make a very good argument for six months equities being higher than where they are. I could make a very good argument for them being lower than they are. But I can make a very, very good argument that whatever we're going to be in six months along the way, we're going to have a lot more volatility than we've been having. We now have had one 5% correction in equity markets so far this year. You normally have three or four per year, even in up years in the market. So I, I think, yeah, this week we had an over 500 point up a day. And people that decide to go get bearish right now and hide, missing those days, they risk never being able to recover. That timing can get away from you very, very quick. You cannot afford to be uninvested in those types of days in the market. And any attempt to time one's way in and out of it heightens the risk and almost ensures that you will, in fact, miss those moments. But then, of course, I expect there to be follow-on from updates in the market from a volatility perspective that goes the other way. And that's what uncertainty creates. We have a lot of uncertainty right now based on the lay of the land. The impact of the Mexican tariffs, should they go into effect and last for a month or two, but not all the way to 25%, are recoverable, but they will take off a quarter point, half a point of GDP growth in an economy that's really fighting like mad to just try to grow 3%. They will cost jobs in California and Texas in particular, where there is a heavy degree of jobs that are created from things we import from Mexico in the supply chain and in end use. And, and so at some point in the end-to-end process, there's a lot of jobs that are domiciled in, in southwestern border states that would be threatened. So... I believe that common sense and uh, self-interest would dictate that we will not get to a 25% tariff on Mexico on all of their imported products. But uh, I have absolutely no ability to forecast what the administration will do and how the Mexican authorities will respond. And I believe that even if these tariffs never go into effect and they work it out and he calls a press conference and says, oh, look, Mexico's really going to help us detain people and keep Central American asylum seekers from entering our country illegally. There may be a little political or cosmetic victory out of it, but I have to say markets are a lot smarter than, you know, political actors. And 
the markets now know that we are living with tariffs which are taxes on American businesses and consumers that linger over our capital markets. And so we have to expect that reality to be at play for the foreseeable future, certainly until such time that we get a finality in our, in our little trade war with China. And we also have to expect that there is this kind of ongoing Fed put, whereby they have the ability to reprice risk assets to the upside very quickly by altering the Fed Fund's futures rate. By creating monetary accommodation in the economy, it makes risk assets worth more money. And those two competing things are our theme right now. And I do encourage you, if you have any particular questions, to reach out directly. We're happy to engage with you anytime. If you have found the podcast useful, please do rate us, like us, five-star us, uh, review us, whatever. If nothing else, forward to a couple friends. Um, as we try to build up the traffic and the, and the visibility across the internet and search features of these podcasts, uh, your help there is appreciated. If you didn't find it helpful, then just stop listening and move on with your day. And thank you, as always, for listening to the Advice and Insights podcast. This is David Bonson. Look forward to come back to you soon. Thank you for listening to our Advice and Insights podcast with David L. Bonson. The Bonson Group is registered with Hightower Securities, LLC, member FINRA and SIPC, and with Hightower Advisors, LLC, a registered investment advisor with the SEC. Securities are offered through Hightower Securities, LLC. Advisory services are offered through Hightower Advisors, LLC. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities. No investment process is free of risk, and there's no guarantee that the investment process or the investment opportunities referenced herein will be profitable. Past performance is not indicative of current or future performance and is not a guarantee. The investment opportunities referenced herein may not be suitable for all investors. All data and information referenced herein are from sources believed to be reliable. Any opinions, news, research, analyses, prices, or other information contained in this research is provided as general market commentary. It does not constitute investment advice. The team in Hightower shall not be in any way liable for claims and make no expressed or implied representations or warranties as the accuracy or completeness of the data and other information or for statements or errors contained in or omissions from the obtained data and information reference herein. The data and information are provided as of the date reference. Such data and information are subject to change without notice. This document was created for informational purposes only. The opinions expressed are solely those of the team and do not represent those of Hightower Advisors LLC or any of its affiliates.